Today's scripture reading is John chapter 21. Turn with me if you have a Bible or a Bible app. John 21, 1 to 25. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple, whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although that there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right.
Welcome, y'all. My name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor. Thank you for joining us this morning as we gather to worship. He is risen. He is risen indeed. I hope y'all are holding up as uh, as this thing just, man, it is like one of those old cars that you tried to turn off and it just keeps, right? It just doesn't stop. Um, the good news is we are flattening the curve, right? That That's the good news. Like our combined efforts are in fact um, flattening the curve, which is protecting the most vulnerable in our society and our first responders and medical workers. The bad news is that means it's going to last a little bit longer, right? Uh, right now, our, our, the peak in our region of, of this thing is, is mid-May. That's what they're projecting. Uh, it keeps getting pushed back. And, uh, and so that's good news. That's bad news. It's just real news. I saw someone post on social media that they are going to have to practice a very different kind of social distancing once this thing's all over to very flatten a very different kind of curve, right? They're going to have to distance themselves from their refrigerator. I, I get it. So, y'all, let's be patient, right? Let's be patient with ourselves. Let's, let's be patient with each other. Let's be patient with that guy at, at, at Walmart um, when, when you, you, know, you have to go get toilet paper or whatever, and, and he's just, we just don't know. Um, what people are going through, the kind of turmoil this is creating, the anxiety. Uh, so let's be patient, right? All right, before we jump in, I want to encourage you uh, to connect with us on social media. Um, join us on Facebook. Facebook used to be something that was just kind of part of what we did. Now it's really become part of our lifeline, right? It's an important way of, of connecting. And so we would encourage you to connect on Facebook, on Twitter, on, on Instagram, whatever your, your favorite is. If you join Facebook and, and like our page, you can also join the men's group or the women's group. These are very active groups. To find us, just look for at Trailhead Online. Uh, that's our website, trailheadonline.org. That's our, that's also our, our, um, our, our name on all the social media platforms. The other thing I want to remind you, we've announced this in, in previous weeks or announced to you if you haven't heard about it, is we're going to be having a pizza with the pastor today at noon. So after service at 12 o'clock, we're going to be having a, uh, a go-to meeting gathering. Um, that's our platform instead of Zoom. But uh, we will um, email you a link if you just let us know you want to join. Uh, email info at trailheadonline.org. Let us know and we will send you the information. You bring the pizza and I'll bring the pastor, right? And, and we'll hang out and we'll talk. So if you're new here, if you have questions, if you're just curious about who we are as a community, um, feel free to, to just connect. Um, or if you're a member, a regular attender, and, and you just want to share lunch with me and, and a group of other people, you are welcome to, to jump in and join us. So welcome, welcome. Welcome to uh, Peter Sunday. Uh, this is not really Peter Sunday. I've declared it to be Peter Sunday. It's not really a thing, but it should be uh, because the passage we read today takes place about two weeks after the resurrection. We don't know exactly what day this whole fishing and Jesus showing up thing takes place. We're not told exactly, but it is about two weeks after the resurrection, which means uh, this might as well be Peter Sunday, so I've declared it to be. Last week was Thomas Sunday because we took a look at the disciple Thomas. It was the day that disciple Thomas was confronted by the risen Christ in the upper room. Uh, because he was doubting Thomas, right? That's his nickname. He said, I, I won't believe Jesus ra was raised from the dead unless I can put my hand in the holes in his hand and, and put my hand in the holes in, in, in the hole in his side. And, and, and doubting Thomas was confronted by the risen Christ. And uh, he was having a crisis of faith. 
And we saw last week that we're all Thomas. We all move from a crisis of faith to a crisis of faith. The only real question is which faith is going to be in crisis. Will it be our faith in ourselves or our faith in God? And the reality is that that is um, a pretty good description of uh, the whole Christian life, right? In the whole Christian life, we move from crisis to crisis where, where we discover we're not as trustworthy as we thought we were, but man, he's way more trustworthy than, than we expected, right? That's pretty much what the whole Christian life looks like. Tim Keller has a, a great way of putting it. I put a quote up at the beginning of, of the sermon last week from Tim Keller. Might as well follow up this week, look at a different quote. Uh, Tim Keller says this, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dare hope. Right? That, that tension of, of I am, I'm more sinful. I'm more broken. I, I'm more selfish. I, I have evil motivations. There are things in me I don't know are there. Right? This is the journey of self-discovery where I'm realizing, man, I'm more broken and more sinful than I thought I was. But the good news is he loved me way more than I hoped he did. As I discover more and more of my sinfulness, I discover more and more of the glory of his love. The Christian life then is this journey of discovering and rediscovering this simple but profound truth. I bring nothing, but he still brings everything. I am loved. And that's at the heart of Peter's story today. Peter is in a time of exile. Now he's surrounded by, by the disciples that are, this takes place about two weeks after the resurrection of Jesus, but, but everything in his life is off. Everything in his life is, it just feels wrong. It's a lot like us today, right? Today we are in, in these strange times. We're not exiled, but man, it sure feels like life is exiled from us. So let me give you a little bit of background on Peter, if you're not familiar with him. Peter Peter, man, he is a character. He is this guy who is bold. Uh, Peter was a fisherman. Uh, I picture him as a, a large, burly guy, a guy that was always uh, able to handle himself physically, a guy that never really had to doubt himself. He's the kind of guy that startles into action. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you ever watch those videos where the guys hide in the bushes or hide in the trash cans and they jump out and startle people? About nine out of ten people are going to startle away. You know what I'm saying? Like nine out of 10 people are going to jump like this. About one out of 10 are going to jump like this, right? They startle into the action. They startle toward you. And I'm guessing Peter was that kind of guy. He's the kind of guy that when he got startled, he's going to move in aggression. He's not going to pull back in, in self-protection. He's a guy who's used to being a leader. He was in, he was in the inner circle of Jesus. Jesus had uh, different groups, right? He had the 70, 72 disciples that were part of the outer circle of, of people who followed him. Then he had the 12 disciples, people that were doing life with him uh, on a regular basis over the three years of his public ministry. And then you had three, uh, Peter, James, and John, who, who really were on, uh, allowed to see things and experience things on a, on, a, on a really close level. Peter was a leader. He was in that inner circle. He was the first disciple to recognize that Jesus was the Messiah and declare it verbally, right? He declared, Jesus said, who do you think I am? And he's like, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and, and Jesus praised him and said, this didn't come from you. The spirit of God revealed this to you, right? So, so what, what I want you to catch is this. Peter's not a guy who's short on self-confidence. Peter's not a guy who's, who's used to not being able to, to depend on himself. A little over two weeks ago from today, like we go back, that was Maundy Thursday, the, the night of the Last Supper. Peter was there, 
right? Jesus washed his feet and, and he kind of wrestled with, with Jesus. He's like, no, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus is like, well, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And he's like, well, then wash my whole body. And Jesus is like, cool your heels, dude. I just need to wash your feet, right? It, it, there's this, always this tension. And, and at the end of the night, Jesus said, I'm going away. And where I'm going, you cannot follow. And Peter kind of came up to him and said, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I can't follow. I will follow you anywhere. I, if, even if everyone else deserts you, I will follow you to death. And Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Before the rooster calls for the dawn of the morning, you will have denied me three times. And of course he does. Jesus goes out into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray and, and uh, the disciples all go to sleep and, and the guards led by Judas come and seize um, Jesus and uh, Peter grabs a sword and tries to protect Jesus. He, he, he has no idea what he's doing. He's a fisherman. He ends up cutting off the ear of a servant. Um, he, he doesn't, he, Jesus heals him. It's like, stop. Um, and, uh, and then Peter follows him. Uh, at a distance, and, and Jesus ends up on, in a mock trial, and Peter's standing in the courtyard, and, and he's warming himself by a fire. And while he's there, a slave girl picks up on his accent and says, aren't you from Galilee? And he's like, no, 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 no. Aren't you one of his followers? No, no, no. Aren't you one of the men that was with Jesus? I swear to you, I don't know the man. He denies Jesus three times, and then the rooster crows, and it all comes crashing down. And, and Peter runs off into the night, right? And I want you to think about his double anguish over the next 24 hours. As Jesus is, is betrayed, as Jesus is exposed and dying on the cross, Peter is exposed. Not just, not just under the anguish that the Messiah is dying on a cross, right? In, in the Old Testament, it says, cursed is anyone who hangs upon a tree, right? So, so not only is he he's anguishing under the fact that the Messiah is, is cursed, he's anguishing under the burden that he is cursed, that he is a coward. And then when Jesus rose from the dead, that was great news. But you know what didn't rise from the dead? Peter's honor. And when Jesus appeared in, in the groups and came into the upper room, I bet Peter had conflicting desires. Like part of him, because it's Peter, he wanted to run to the front. He wanted to shove everybody out of the way. He wanted to be the first one there to touch him, to see him. But he also had this other anguishing pull that he had been exposed as a coward, that he didn't feel worthy to run forward. Imagine the conflict that that would create. That brings us to the events of our chapter. That's kind of the setting for, for this chapter. And, I, and I, I asked Mallory to read the whole chapter. It was a little bit long. Sorry, Mallory. Um, but uh, the reason I did that is, is because I love the tension between Peter and John. John wrote this gospel. John and his brother James and Peter were, were in business together. And I'm guessing there was a good amount of... of good old-fashioned competition between these guys, and you just kind of pick it up. I would encourage you to go back and read it because it, it, I just love the tension between these guys. But, 
But at the beginning of the chapter, Peter gets restless. He's like, forget this, I'm going fishing. It's late in the day. They fish overnight uh, to escape the heat of the day, but also so they have fresh fish to sell at the morning market. And so they go out and, and the other five guys in the room are like, all right, we'll go with you. So they all go fishing. They fish all night. They don't catch a thing. And as the sun is coming up and they're pulling everything in and wrapping it up, there's a guy who shows up on the beach and he's like, hey, y'all, did you catch some fish? And they're like, no, nah, it was a bad night. And he's like, cast your net on the right. And I guarantee you, tingles went down Peter's spine. Because in Luke's gospel, we find that that's in fact how Jesus called Peter to follow him. Simon, Peter, was, was, it was after a long night, he had caught no fish. Jesus was teaching. He stepped into Peter's boat and they went offshore and he taught for a little while. And eventually he was like, hey, Peter, go out into the deep and cast your net. And he's like, we've already fished all night. The fish have already gone deep because the heat of the day is already here. And Jesus, he's like, but I'll do it because you've asked me to do it. And he did it and they caught so many fish that their nets were torn. And, uh, and it's a beautiful bookend to this current, this current passage because in that passage, Peter falls on his knees and he's like, you need to leave because I'm, I'm a sinful man. There's a humility that just comes out of Peter. And Jesus says, follow me because I'm going to make you a fisher of men, right? We find here that, that they cast their net into the water and as soon as, as they catch the fish, which I'm sure Peter knew was going to happen. He, is, he, can't, he can't constrain himself. He just can't, right? He, he, he had been stripped for the work. He put on his outer robe. He dove into the water. He left those guys to collect all the fish, swims to the shore. And by the time the others arrive, there's already a fire and there's already fish on the fire. Uh, we have no idea how Jesus already got fish, um, but he's Jesus, right? Uh, and, and so these guys, James and, and John and the rest of the guys, are at the fire watching what takes place. But, but the rest of the account is all about Peter. It's as if there's a spotlight that comes down and they just become spectators of this beautiful scene with Peter. And over the course of the rest of this conversation, Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? And three times Peter responds, you know, I love you. And then three times Jesus commissions him, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. It's worth asking why. It's an odd conversation, right? When you read through it, it, it just is kind of awkward. It's weird. It's like, what in the world, right? This is, it's even weird for Peter. You pick that up because by the time Jesus gets to the third question, Peter himself is like having this growing sense of tension. He's like, ah, right? What's going on here? Well, there are three things that are happening here that I want to take a look at. First of all, he's confronting Peter in his sin. Second of all, he is comforting Peter in his sorrow. And thirdly, he is commissioning Peter in his love. And I believe... We're all Peter. In the same way we were all Thomas, we're all Peter. And this passage has a powerful word for us in, in the way the Lord approaches us. So let's take a look at these three things. First of all, he is confronting Peter in his sin, which means he confronts us in our sin, right? Peter has a cloud over his head. He has ever, ever since that night of, of betrayal, right? He has a cloud over his head. He has shame in his heart. He has a crisis in which he is, he's like, he's like, I am not who I thought I was. And, 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 and I, and here's, here's the way that crisis plays out. I'm not who I thought I was. Therefore, I don't love myself. I don't respect myself. I disappoint myself. Surely you don't love me either. Surely you are disappointed in me. I reject myself. Surely you 
reject myself, right? So he has this cloud. And, and here's the thing. Jesus needs to meet him in a place of honesty. Because even in that shame, there are layers of pride and dishonesty. Because the pride would love to whisper, all you got to do is fix yourself. You, you messed up once, but if you fix yourself, you'll be able to get this right, right? Now, there's a pretty obvious connection between the three denials and the three questions, right? Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? Which would have not been missed by Peter. You know what I'm saying? Like, like each time he asked, it was like, okay, here we are. He's bringing me back to the night of my betrayal, which is poignant. Because this is exactly what Peter was asserting at the Last Supper. At the Last Supper, he's like, they might all leave, but I will not leave you. I will follow you even to death, right? What he was saying was, I love you more than they do. I love you. I love you. So three times, Jesus is like, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And each time, it is bringing him back to his betrayal and bringing him back to his failure. So let me ask you something. Was Jesus just trying to rub Peter's nose in his failure? You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like you know, you might do with your dog if he poops on the carpet. Was he, was he taking Peter and, and like, let me show you your failure? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. There was nothing vengeful or malicious taking place here. Jesus, Jesus wasn't like, like rubbing his nose in it. He wasn't being mean. He was being honest. Because he had to meet Peter in a place of honesty, a place that Peter hadn't allowed himself to go previously. This failure actually opens up the door for Peter to be honest with Jesus and with himself, really for the first time. Let me ask you something. Why was Peter so confident the night of the Last Supper? Why was Peter in general so confident, right? Because Peter trusted Peter. Peter rested in his own strength, right? Peter, when Peter gave his word, he kept his word. Peter was the kind of guy that when he made a decision, he didn't remake it five times, right? He, he wasn't a guy who vacillated a lot. He, he, he made a decision. He kept it. When he kept his, gave his word, he kept it. He was a guy who, who he was a guy who had learned to rest in his own strength. But that self-assurance betrayed him. He wasn't what he thought he was. And he was exposed in his weakness. Peter's false faith in himself betrayed him. He wasn't what he thought he was. And, 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 and being exposed, right, his sin was an outgrowth of his pride. His sin was an outgrowth of his pride. His pride set the stage for the betrayal and that sin needed to be confronted. Now, some people don't like the idea of, of a God who confronts us in our sin. Right? It, for them, they're like, no, 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 no. I like, I like a loving God. Steve, you talk a lot about, about God's grace. Why, God doesn't, if God's gracious and loves me when I don't deserve it, why would he confront me in my sin? God, God loves me. He doesn't confront me. Right? I like a loving, graceful God. But let me ask you something. What would you think of a parent who never confronted their children and their sin. What would you think about a parent who never corrected their child when they, when they were uh, sinning against others or, or 
right? If every time the child told a lie, if every time the child hurt somebody, if every time the child withheld some good from someone when they should have shared it, every time they refused to be, if, if the parent just smiled, if the parent just said, oh, I just love my, my kid, what would you think about that parent? The reality is that's not love. That's selfishness. Right? That, that's cowardice. That's, I, that's laziness. I don't, I don't want to enter into the difficulty of having to correct a child, so I just don't do it, right? Uh, the Proverbs talk about this. Proverbs thirteen twenty four says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Right? Whoever spares the rod hates his son. Uh, in modern language, the one who won't discipline his child is acting as if he actually hates him instead of loves him. Right? Why? Because if I love you, I want the best for you. And, and if I want the best for you, it means I can't let you continue in self-destructive behaviors. I can't let you think the entire world revolves around you. I can't let you sink into the narcissistic black hole of selfishness that would consume you if I didn't intervene. Right? We all need to be corrected. Not just our children. We all need to be corrected to keep us from destroying ourselves and hurting others. Hebrews 12.6 says, For the Lord disciplines the one that he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. The Lord disciplines the one that he loves. Right? Confronting our sin isn't a lack of love. It is love. Confronting us in our sin is an expression of love. Jesus met Peter in his betrayal to call him out of it. If he didn't confront him in his pride, that same pride would swallow him and lead him into further acts of, of self-destruction and betrayal of those that he loved. And listen, God met Peter in his, in his sin, and God's, God's going to meet you in your sin as well. I don't know what your besetting sin is, right? Peter's was, was pride. Maybe yours is too, right? Maybe, maybe yours is anger. Maybe yours is a, a need to control life, circumstances, others. Uh, maybe yours is lust. I don't know. I don't know. But I will tell you this. If you want to grow in your faith in Christ, you're going to have to meet Christ in the place of your sin. See, our impulse is to hide what we find shameful. Our impulse is to hide what, what, what we find sinful, right? To pretend that it's not there. We pretend that it's not there. We perform like we're more religious or moral than we actually are. But here's the thing. If we want to grow in grace, we need to meet God in the point of our betrayal against God. We need to lay it bare before him. Let me share another verse with you. First John 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, right? This idea here is, is that we come to God with a complete honesty, a brutal honesty, not only about what we've done, but the motivations behind it. If we, if we are open, honest, humble, and, 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 and meet him in this place of sin, he is what? Angry? Is he going to reject us? Does he judge us? Does he say you're not good enough? You haven't measured up? No, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Right? Jesus died for my sins. He is faithful 
to the sacrifice of Christ. He is just because Jesus took the the penalty of my cosmic treason. He took the penalty of my guilt and shame. He paid the price. God is faithful to the work of Christ. He is just because Christ was punished in my place. And as a result of that, in grace, he forgives my sins. And I love the end of that verse. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. This process not only allows us to experience the forgiveness of God in Christ, it changes us. It frees us. Jesus confronted Peter in his sin, not to rub his nose in it, but to free him from it. He confronted him in that place of sin so that he could not only find forgiveness, but he might find cleansing. See, God loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us as we are. He will meet us in love. He will confront our sin and he will set us free. He confronts us not to destroy us, not to deny us, but to deliver us. And having confronted our sin, he will then comfort our sorrow. That's the second thing that we see here in Jesus's interaction with Peter. He, he confronts him in his sin and then he comforts him in his sorrow. Jesus wasn't just reminding Peter of his betrayal. He was reminding Peter of his love, right? There is a gentleness in this confrontation. There is a comforting effect to the sorrow, a reminder that says, you betrayed me, but I didn't betray you. You can't trust yourself, but you can always trust me, right? Three times he asks, do you love me? And three times Peter felt his heart rising up within him. So that he had to, in all honesty, even though he was reluctant to declare anything about himself, to simply say, yes, you know I love you. Three times, three times, Peter provokes him to feel this response, right? It's not a declaration of his strength for Jesus, but an honest, humble response to Jesus. Jesus is like, do you love me? And he's like, yeah. Do you love me? Yeah. Do you love me? Yes. You know why? Because each time Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? He was reminding Peter, I've loved you. I didn't abandon you. I didn't betray you. I went to the cross for you. I died for you. I didn't walk away from you. And that's not to guilt him. It is to awaken him to love. He is gently comforting Peter's sorrow. There's a real subtle tension taking place in the original language that we don't pick up on the English because in English, we only have one, one English word for love, right? It's love. I love tacos. I love my wife and I love um, my dog. Actually, I I'm not sure I love my dog, especially after this quarantine, but I love tacos and, and I love my wife. Um, now, I love my wife and tacos in very different ways, right? In, in Greek, they actually had four different in, uh, words for, for love. And there are two words at play in this passage, right? So in verse 15, Jesus says, uh, Peter, do you love me more than these? And the word that he uses there is agape. Peter, do you agape me, love me with a self-giving, self-sacrificial love more than these? Which could mean, do you love me more than you love these fish? 
or, or do you love me more than you love these disciples? Or do you love me more than they love me? Which I think is the implication here because that's what he declared two weeks ago. And Peter's response is, I phileo you. Phileo is a Greek word that means a strong brotherly affection, uh, a friend affection, right? Philadelphia, uh, the city of brotherly love, it is, it is, phileo is this friendship love, this welling of affection for someone that, that we find uh, attractive to us. Do you agape me? I phileo you. Verse 16, Jesus again says, Peter, do you agape me? Love me with a self-giving, self-sacrificial love. And again, Peter looks at him and says, Lord, I phileo you. I have a strong affection for you. And then in verse 17, he asks a third time, Peter, but he changes it. Peter, do you phileo me? Do you have a strong brotherly affection for me? And Peter is just broken. He's like, Lord, you know everything. You know I phileo you. You know I have a strong affection rising within me in response to your love. Peter's careful response is a marked contrast from his bold and arrogant proclamation two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, he thought loving Jesus was an easy thing because he relied on himself. Man, he thought his ability rested in his own strength and he had all the confidence in his ability to love well. Peter wasn't a guy who was used to letting himself down. But now he finds himself betrayed by his own strength. And Peter is in the middle of this faith crisis like we talked about last week. But it isn't his faith in Jesus that's in crisis. It's his faith in himself. It's never fun to find the end of your own strength. It is never fun to discover that you are more sinful than you thought you were, that what you thought was a strength was in fact a deception. It's never fun, but it is often the very point where we start discovering his strength. When we come to the end of our own, we start discovering his. When we we start having a a, 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 a crisis of faith in ourselves, it often becomes a point of explosive growth in our faith in Jesus. Peter's confidence used to be in his commitment to Jesus, but now it is shifting to rest in Jesus's commitment to him. Jesus is confronting his sin while simultaneously comforting him in his sorrow with his love. What he's saying is, is it's not your love that's important here, Peter. It's mine. This never rested on you. It has always rested on me. Peter, do you love me? And Peter, in all honesty, having been provoked by that kind of love, must respond, yes, it is welling up within me. It is not my work. It is not my will. It is welling up within me. You have loved me. How could I not love you? See, what's ironic is, is as weak as Peter feels right now in this moment, he is stronger than he's ever been. Jesus confronts him in his sin and exposes his false faith. Jesus comforts him in his sorrow and calls him back to love. And now Jesus commissions him in that love. That's the final thing Jesus is doing in this confrontation is he is commissioning love. Three times he says, do you love me? Three times Peter responds, you know I love you. Three times he commissions him. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. I love this, that that he doesn't wait until after the confrontation to commission commission him. He doesn't wait until it's all done and then say, okay, yeah, I think you measure up. 
That was good enough repentance. Yeah, you, you responded well three times. Okay, okay, now go ten. No, it's in the midst of repentance, in the midst of responding, in the process. He's not waiting to find out if Peter loves him enough. He is provoking Peter with his love. And in provoking him, he is changing him and freeing him so that he could actually fulfill the commission. Even as Peter is being brought out of his shame, he is commissioned to help others to do the same. Peter's commission doesn't rest on his worthiness of that commission. Listen, God, God doesn't give gifts to people because they deserve it. It's not the way it works, right? The, the Greek word for gift, charis, is the same word we get grace. It, it, God gives gifts not because we deserve it, um, but so that those gifts can change us even as we use them for the good of others, right? God doesn't commission the worthy. He makes those that he has commissioned worthy. Peter wasn't worthy of the task Jesus was giving him. Jesus was making Peter worthy of the task. And he works the same way with us. Every believer is commissioned by Jesus to be his ambassador, to be a disciple who makes disciples. Every believer hears the same message. You are loved, now go love. What's so cool is that in the middle of all of this, Jesus is leading Peter leading him to obey the great command. He didn't say, here's the great command, go obey it, and I'll see how you do. He's actually leading Peter into the experience of it. The great command, of course, is to love the Lord God with all your heart, heart mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love God, love, love others. And, and, and he is provoking Peter to love him and commissioning Peter in that love to go love others. As Peter is being fed in the love of God, he is being prepared to love people as God has loved him. You've been fed on grace. Now go lead others to the pasture so that they can feed on it as well. Peter is stronger than he's ever been and he's more qualified to lead others than he's ever been. Even though he feels less qualified, even though he feels weaker, right? Peter, if he were operating in his own strength, listen to what would happen. If Peter were operating in his own strength and he was commissioned to go make disciples, he would make disciples of his strength, not God's. He would show up and he would say, do you want to be a follower of God? Then, then follow him like I follow him. Do what I do. Be like me, right? If you want to be a disciple. So listen, do you want to be a disciple? That means you need to, to be strong like I am strong. Listen, you are commissioned, follower of Christ. You are commissioned to make disciples. Every disciple is called to be a disciple who makes disciples, right? So this isn't some special commission only some people get. If you're a follower of Jesus, you got the commission, right? But let me ask you something. What does it mean to make disciples? What does it mean, right? Listen, Jesus didn't call Peter to replicate his strengths. Jesus called Peter to model his weakness, right? Peter was his strongest when he was least deluded about his own strengths. He was strongest when he was flat on his face, desperately in need of grace. Because it was in that place that grace lifted him up and empowered him. Peter was most spiritual when he felt like he was least spiritual. Listen, if you think about discipleship like mentorship, like I'm just going to go take somebody, I'm going to mentor them, and I'm going to teach them how to read the Bible like I read the Bible, and to pray like I pray, and to do what I do, and I'm going to replicate my strengths in, in their lives, and I'm going to tell them what to do, and I'm going to tell them. Listen, if you approach discipleship like mentorship, you don't get it yet. 
You don't get it yet. You don't disciple someone by saying, here, let me show you how to be strong like I am strong. You don't disciple somebody by saying, let me replicate my strengths in your life. You disciple someone by modeling for them and inviting them into your weakness. By showing them that God loves you, even though you are not everything you used to pretend to be. You model for them discipleship when you model for them that you feast on grace. And in feasting on grace are changed, transformed, and set free. Discipleship is about leading people to be bold and courageous and faith enough to be weak. And in their weakness to discover his strength. Paul, the Apostle Paul, once said, imitate me. But the way he said it is important. He said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul wasn't saying, um, follow me and do what I do. He was saying, follow Christ. Don't look at me, look at him. Don't follow me, follow him. All right, y'all listen. Uh, Jesus confronted Peter to confront him in his sin, and he's going to do the same for us to comfort him in his sorrow and to commission him in his love. Listen to me. Peter was in a place of exile. Jesus met him there and called him out. Don't waste your pandemic. Don't waste your time of exile. Jesus is ready to meet with you. If you're not a believer, there's no better time to respond to the invitation. And it is so simple. You simply say, Lord, I believe in you. I rest in you instead of myself. I receive this gift of grace by grace through faith. I trust you more than I trust myself. In whatever language you want to say it in, in whatever hard attitude you want to adopt, but it's always a place of of humble honesty in need before God. And then God in his grace meets that need. If you're a follower of Christ, Man, time to wake up. Time to grow. Time to sit down at that fire and let God meet you in your need and let Jesus call you out of your sin and and comfort your sorrow. There are going to be things that are opened up in you over this time as as you are, are feeling anxiety and stress and loneliness and pain. Let God meet you in those places of pain instead of instead of dulling yourself with with a thousand more Netflix episodes instead of, 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 of trying to, to make the loneliness go away with pornography, instead of, of trying to, to control things by getting irritable and angry. And, and, and it, man, meet Jesus. Meet Jesus. Allow him to meet you there. Honest humility. Because he's all ready to meet with you. Let me close this in word of prayer. Father, I thank you. I thank you that in the same way you met Peter, you meet us. I thank you, Lord, that that you don't wait for us to work our way up to you. You meet us where we are. You you aren't looking for us to fix ourselves or improve ourselves or or, or to, to somehow make ourselves worthy. You love us as we are. And it is your love that makes us worthy. 
It is your love that actually transforms us from the inside out and sets us free. Let us be people that are bold in that grace. And let us learn to love boldly, even as we have been loved. We're going to go ahead and share communion together.